Welcome to the Chad Whittle Podcast. On each episode of the show, Chad is joined by academics, media professionals, and thought leaders to discuss their careers, the latest media developments, how technology is impacting our lives, and so much more. And now, here's Chad. Welcome to the podcast. My guest is a former radio personality in Atlanta. He has 25 years of experience in the radio industry. In 2019, he started the Upside podcast with his wife, Callie, and their podcast made it to the top 10 on Apple Podcasts. Jeff Dollar, welcome to the Chad Whittle podcast. Thank you, Chad. I appreciate you having me. So I'm not from Atlanta, but I've been up there many times for Braves games, to spend time with family. So I've heard your voice many, many times sitting on I-75 in traffic. So it's really nice to be able to speak to you. Nice speaking with you, too. And thanks for listening when you were in Atlanta. I appreciate that. Oh, I love visiting Atlanta. Now, when I'm sitting in traffic, sometimes I change my mind and I'm glad that I live in a smaller town. But Atlanta is always fun to visit. Yeah, that was um, I know last year was such a uh, crazy year and it was so distressing on so many levels. But if you have to find a positive in all that chaos, it's the fact that for about six months, traffic was significantly later than it normally was. And that was so refreshing. My wife is from Tallahassee, Florida, and during the pandemic, I told her, I said, let's go to Atlanta. You're from Tallahassee. You haven't really been to Atlanta a lot, maybe once or twice. I said, let's go because you want to look around downtown. We haven't really been able to go downtown. You can really see the area. And I said, this is the only opportunity you will have probably in your life to go up there and the traffic will not be bad because everybody's at home, not able to really go anywhere. So we drove up there on Sunday afternoon. It was kind of weird. We're on Peachtree Street and we're just stopping in the middle of the road and looking at the buildings because there's really no one else there. Yeah, it's all back to normal now, though. The offices are opening back up. People are on summer break, uh, but but, you know, offices are opening back up and people are more comfortable doing things like they used to do. So so that window of opportunity is closed. It's it was nice. fun while it lasted. Well, it's nice to have things back to normal. It's I'm ready. I'm ready Amen. to see some traffic on 75. Yes, sir. Amen. So, you know, we've never had a chance to speak until today. Um, like I said, I've heard you many times on Atlanta radio. But tell me a little bit about your background. What made you interested in pursuing a career in radio? Um, it's actually all I've ever done. So I, I don't have a story about growing up wanting to be a DJ or anything like that. Um, I simply, uh, um, got a radio opportunity, a radio, um, job after working at a college radio station. Um, I went to Syracuse University and so they have a couple of really great college radio stations. I signed up to work at one of those, uh, honestly, to, to meet the girl who was working at the booth, the info booth at the, you know, at the beginning of the semester student union 
thing where she was like, come work at the radio station. And she was cute. And I said, okay. So I ended up working at the radio station and then, uh, had an opportunity to when it, because I grew up in Syracuse, my parents lived in Syracuse. I had an opportunity to really experience all the the stuff that goes on at a radio station over the summer because the majority of people went home. So the radio station existed on a crew of about a dozen people. So I got thrown into it really quickly. I learned a lot really quickly. And after a year or two of working there, I got a you know part-time jobs at a couple of the radio stations around Syracuse. And then that led into a full-time opportunity working with a morning show um, in a tiny little market outside of Syracuse. And from there, it just, I, I just, I went from, uh, from, from there to Boston, from Boston to Arizona, from Arizona to Philadelphia, and then from Philadelphia to Atlanta. So it's really the only, it's, there's no, there's never been a dream of being the next Casey Kasem or Rick Dees or Howard Stern. Um, I fell into it. I was good at it. And I just kept doing it. And here we are. Well, radio is one of the most fun jobs you could ever have. Uh, of course, I haven't had a lot of other jobs, but I'm, my experience in radio, you know, whether you are in Atlanta, a big market, or you make it, you know, the farthest you can make it is a, a mid-sized market, whatever level of success you can have, it's a lot of fun. It's so much yeah, it's fun. A gr- it's a great job. It's... um you know, I think the industry has has changed a lot in the, in the 20, 25 years that I was part of it. Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's the 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 fun is still there, um, but the business side of it is it's it's. I want to I want to tread carefully because I don't want to put radio down because it's certainly a, a great industry. But um, the there used to be a time when if you did good radio and you got good ratings, then advertisers would spend money on your show. Now there's a lot more options for the advertisers. There's digital, there's podcasts, there's, uh, you know, uh, old, you know, the traditional print and, and TV, but then there's also digital, you know, uh, like blogs. There's also, you know, streaming services. There's all these places where advertisers can spend their money, which makes the radio station owners desperate's the wrong word, but it, it increases the competition, the competitiveness. So there's a little less leeway with some of the creativity that used to be there. I don't know if I said that politically correct enough, but uh, hopefully you, you got what I meant. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, I know what you mean. I, I'm i from South Georgia. I worked in radio in Valdosta and in my hometown of Douglas. So I pretty much lived my entire life in, here in Georgia, uh, but for three years I moved out to Mississippi to earn my PhD at the University of Southern Miss, and I'm listening to the rock station in Hattiesburg, and I got to noticing, wait a minute, I know that voice, same DJ yeah. that's on in Atlanta. So, you know, if you want a job in radio, it's so competitive because they have yeah. the same person on five or six stations voice tracking at different times of the day across their stations across the country and other states is a very 
competitive industry now to not only find a job, to get your foot in the door, but to be able to have a long-term career, it's very, very difficult. Yeah, it's and um, and it's not what it used to be is if you were creative and engaging. And by creative, I mean, you could be funny, you could be shocking, you could be a terrific storyteller, you could be a compelling storyteller, you could be super talented at creating value over the 10 second intro of a song. Those, when I say creative individual, all those different types of creativity could get you a job. Now you have to be a creative individual who understands the revenue, you know, plan of the station, who is willing to do 12 different, you know, jobs. Are you engaged on social media? Do you know about social media? Can you update the website? Are you also available to produce commercials? So not only are the um, jobs becoming more difficult to get, but you have to be even more qualified. In addition to having creative talent, you have to be more qualified now than you had to be even five years ago or 10 years ago. So it's a, it's a, it's a tough business. And having to do social media and, and create videos for the YouTube channel and, that right. really takes away from your own air performance because you're doing so many things at once. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes it, it makes it tough. And when I um, was at my last radio job, I advocated heavily for the company to hire basically a digital program director, somebody whose job it was just to program the social media, because, you know, it's when it gets left up to to the air talent, um, there's only so many hours in the day and there's only so much creative energy that exists in someone's mind. And, you know, we will watch TikToks and we'll watch Instagram stories and stuff and we'll see these really creative you know, these creative 30 second videos. And we're like, Oh, wow, that's so great. What you don't see is the fact that, that an hour and a half of planning takes retakes editing all went into posting that even though it, it looks effortless, the more effortless about, and I've said this about radio and I say it about podcasting, the more effortless the show seems, the more preparation and planning went into it. So I'm a huge advocate, was a huge advocate for in radio, have somebody whose sole job is to create the digital content using the air talent in that to tie the two together. But it's just you're asking a lot of creative people and it it just it, it taps their, you know, it saps their creative energy. I started in radio at 17, and you have 25 years experience. So you've seen a lot more changes, of course, than I have. But just in the the small time, 17, I'm 35 now, that I worked in radio, I saw so many changes. A lot, like you said, even in in a smaller, smaller market. I know that when I started and then kind of when... I stopped working at the stations. They really had a big emphasis on the website and social media. Even in our meetings, 
And I always thought, this is weird. Why are we spending so much time discussing this website that don't, we really don't make money on and not discuss the on-air product more? Right. Um, you know, behind the scenes, the, it's, the reason for that is because corporate, wherever corporate was, was seeing revenue potential on websites. So they were applying pressure to the local radio stations to to drive web traffic. And it doesn't make sense if you're in a local market executing local content. It doesn't make sense why you would focus on the website. But if you're sitting in a corporate office somewhere and, and you look at, at this this asset, these websites, and the company has 400 radio stations, meaning 400 separate websites, they can get a big check from somebody like Ford or Coca-Cola or Procter & Gamble or a national advertiser to put an ad on all 400 of those. So that's where that driving came from. And, and I, I go back to what I said earlier. I think I think radio stations should have on every level completely separated the digital product from the on-air product and let them complement each other. Um, you know, and they didn't, they tried, they didn't. And, you know, I think it's, it's, it's been harmful to, to broadcast radio because of that. And a lot of these stations where they have voice tracks, no live DJ, the entertainment value has really suffered. Even, yeah, even in big markets. I'm not, I'm not talking about your, your small town market in South Georgia that really cannot afford to have a large staff of DJs. But in major markets as well, you listen to the station and they pretty much just tell you the name of the song that just played. That was Katy Perry coming up, Goo Goo Dolls. And that's pretty much the the, the level of creativity they have. They're not really, I guess, allowed to speak too long because they don't want people to turn the station to another competitor. But that's really is the value of radio is the personality. That's what separates them from a playlist on an app is those local personalities. So, Radio really should try to play more to their strengths and give that, once again, make the personalities addition in a, you know, with the music, give people that reason to listen because they are local and they're there to entertain you. Well, and they can also drive community, which was such a big part of radio for the for the majority of the 25 years I was a part of it and now I'm seeing it become um, a big part of podcasting our biggest asset with our show is the community that we have around it it's not just an audience they're not just listeners it's an actual community of people who support our show who support each other and who support um you know, Callie and I in our endeavors and radio used to have that. Um, I heard a, a DJ years ago refer to another radio station's audience as soldiers. Like we are going to have a hard time competing against this radio station because that morning show has soldiers. That morning show says, Hey, we all want to, we want to do a 6 a.m. bowling party. A thousand people are going to show up for it because 
there's that type of loyalty and connection. And when you start cutting the amount of time that people can talk because you think more music is better, you're, you're trying to replicate a Pandora playlist on the radio, which will not work. And you're also reducing the amount of time people have to engage with a air personality and, and become friends with that air personality, which is the foundation of community. So yeah, it's a, it's <laughs> radio is tough right now. I remember the radio remotes on Saturdays. You'd be at a car dealer. A lot of people would show up. They would go meet the DJ. But a lot of that now seems, the, not just car dealers, but local companies, seems like a lot of it now, they just advertise on Facebook. There doesn't seem to be as much local remotes anymore as well, probably because there's not local DJs at that station. Uh, but yeah, getting back into the community, that's really is, I believe, the key for the future of radio, going back to the roots and what made radio successful, that local connection that people have. Yeah. yeah. So tell me some things, though, that you miss about working in radio. I know we kind of discussed where it is now currently. Uh, it's heavily consolidated uh, industry. A lot of media industries are heavily consolidated in 2021. Yeah. Uh, what are some things you miss about working in radio? Um. You know, I, here's the thing. Uh, and if I'm being com absolutely completely honest, because we have the successful podcast, I, there's not really anything that I miss about radio when I left it. Um, I can be nostalgic and talk about, um, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago and getting the ratings every, every quarter or every month and seeing how we performed compared to our competition, the camaraderie of creating a show and having a radio station um, kind of be a family and have the people who work there be brothers and sisters. And we celebrate the wins together and we all feel the losses together. Um, so, so nostalgic nostalgia wise there's a lot that i miss about radio from years ago um where i was when i left i was just completely underwater with corporate mandates and um instructions that were instructions from corporate consultants and corporate programmers and, uh, you know, managers, local managers who are listening to those corporate people that made no logical sense to succeed. Um, so when I left, I was actually happy to leave. Um, I think, you know, to, to, to answer that question and make it not sound so doomsday, it goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. Some Somebody, if they want radio to start to thrive again, somebody needs to shift complete control and confidence back to local managers and let local radio stations make the best decisions for their market. Um, 
So I don't know if that's, I don't know if you're looking for a more optimistic answer, um, but it's, it's, that was a tough, that's a tough one to deliver. Honesty. I, I just want honesty. Yeah. That's all so, I ask. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think, you know, what I witnessed at the end of where we were a couple, you know, a year or so um, before I lost my job, we had corporate pressure to play more music on our show and to do in benchmark bits. So the same exact bit at the same exact time every day in order to create a sense of familiarity and whatnot. And on paper, I'm sure that presents well in a lot of markets. But what I was trying to explain to people was we were competing against the Burt Show. And I worked for the Burt Show for 15 years. Like, I know their formulas. I know what they do. And you can't, you're never going to beat the Burt Show playing music or doing regular bits. That's not it might work in other markets. So I was really frustrated at the end. And eventually, you know, you just have to, the consultants and the, the corporate people are always going to win. So even though it made no sense for us, we, we had to do it. We had to try to play more music and our ratings went down even lower. And then, you know, so it was frustrating. It was the end was frustrating. So um, that's probably giving into some of my pessimism as well. Now, you produce a podcast with your wife, and you've had a lot of success with it so far. And it's cool that you're able to to do this, and not only do this with your wife, but it's a business now. Yeah. Do you feel as pressured producing your podcast as you did working in radio? Because in radio, you're always worrying about the ratings, the ratings, the ratings. It's, you, you live and die on the ratings. Of course, you have you got to worry about the download numbers with your podcast and you always want those to increase. But do you feel as pressured as you did working in radio? I mean, I look at the numbers daily, every day of our show, and um, I feel less pressure now than I did a year ago. Um, here's the thing. In radio, when you get your numbers, when you get rated, the numbers that you're getting are a measure of your performance from a month or two ago. They're old numbers. When you look at podcasting numbers, you can look at, you're looking at that specific day. Um, and you can look, I mean, I can check every hour during a day and see how the show is doing every single hour. And I certainly did that in the beginning. Like I would look multiple times a day at the, at the shows, at the show to see how it was doing. Um, so as far as pressure goes, I absolutely still feel pressure to perform because in podcasting, it's pretty simple math. The more listeners you have, the more you can charge your advertisers. The more you charge your advertisers, the more money goes in your bank account. So um, so for financial reasons, I look, I make sure nothing you know, there's no, we're not, you know, having huge trends downward or anything like that. But as far as feeling that the only person that I have to answer to, that my wife and I have to answer to is each other. So there's no, if the ratings go down, if our performance is trending downward, 
the decision to ch- to make a change is fully mine, which takes a lot of pressure off. For me, the ratings pressure, especially when I was hosting my own show, the ratings pressure was if the show is down, people are going to tell us what to do and how to change. And, and I never wanted that. So that's where the, that's where that pressure came from. What have you learned so far about producing a podcast? What, what has surprised you about the process of trying to grow a podcast? Um, the getting people to come to a podcast is more, is a lot more difficult than I expected. And the reason is, um, almost any marketing that you do for a podcast is, uh, and this is a, this is a double-edged sword because with a radio station or, or another type of, of broadcast, you know, available anytime medium, you just have to kind of create the awareness of it. So whether it's a Netflix show, whether it's a radio station running a great contest, whether it's a reality TV show that starts next week, if you create the awareness, um, people know that they can just go tune in and find it. With podcasting, one, it's a new medium. So not everybody knows how to access podcasts. That number is going up very fast, which is good. Um, but that's number one. And then number two, in order to get people to, to truly engage, you have to get them to go to your show, listen to your show and realize they enjoy it. Remember to subscribe to your show. And then when they see it on their phone, the next time, in our case, the next day to listen to it again. Um, that's a lot of steps. So, so for me, the biggest challenge has been trying to find marketing ways to market the show that drive awareness and encourage listening, but do so in a, in a memorable way that doesn't interrupt what people are currently doing. So if you scroll, if you're scrolling through Instagram and you see an ad for a podcast, the chances of you stopping your Instagram scroll to go listen to a 30 minute podcast, zero. Same thing with Facebook, even ads in other podcasts are difficult because it's gotta be a pretty compelling 30 second ad to get you to stop the story that you're listening, that you're halfway through listening to go check out another show. So that's been the biggest challenge and it's still, it's a work in progress. It's something that I experiment with um, pretty like daily. Like it's, it's something that's on my radar every single day. And there's so many podcasts. Right. Like 2 million. The last time I saw the Apple podcast count, that's a lot of competition. It is a lot of those shows, though, if you dig through, dig into that number, um, not that this is really any better, but uh, there's, um, I think only of those 2 million, uh, only, I can't remember if it's six or 800,000 of them have released an episode in the past 30 days. I think that's the, what they use for the measuring stick. A lot of those are people who are like, I want to do a podcast and they do three <laughs> episodes and, and they never do it again. Because the, <laughs> the barrier to do a podcast 
is is zero. You can record it on your phone, upload it, and say I'm a podcaster. And so so that allows there to be two million podcasts to sort through. Um, but yeah, so the the difference is for twenty twenty five years. I'm still trying to untrain myself, but for twenty five years of working in radio whatever market I was in, my mission was to, to be better than the other people in the market. And I would get paid. I would have an opportunity to earn bonuses, thousands of dollars, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars, if I performed at a very high level. Um, with podcasting, there is no competitor. I don't perform any better if your podcast is performing worse. Um, I simply perform better when more people listen to mine and you would perform better if more people listen to yours and, and Joe Rogan would perform better if more people listen to his. And that's just the way, that's the way it works. So, um, so for that reason, the number of podcasts that exist don't really bother me that much. doesn't really bother me that much. And of those 500, 600,000 that are active, probably 100,000 or more of them are two guys in a room in an apartment just discussing things. They have no organization whatsoever. They just thought it'd be cool to talk about whatever for 30 minutes with their friend. And then they find out this is like a lot of work. This is not fun. Well, or they do that. And I was just talking to somebody about this last night. I was doing an interview with a, um, a podcast about podcasting. And I said, and it, this applies to radio is, is, as well. Like the greatest compliment that I ever, well, I can give you a real, a real world example. Um, we had an opportunity uh, at my last radio station to interview Lenny Kravitz and he had a new album coming out. And so the day before the album was was supposed to release, we had a chance to talk to, to Lenny Kravitz. And so we did this interview with him and it was 15 minutes long and it was fine, but there was nothing like really groundbreaking in the interview other than the fact that it was Lenny Kravitz. There was no real show business value to it. Um, but I happened to notice when I was doing my research for the interview that he was going to be in Atlanta performing like 30 days later. So the day the album came out, we honored our commitment to the, to the publicist or to the record company. And we played a 30 second clip of Lenny Kravitz talking about his new album. And we said, we had a chance to talk to Lenny Kravitz. And this is what he told us about his new album. And we played a 30 second, one minute clip. So that was done. But what we did is we took the rest of the interview and we, we chopped it up and we did so much production to it. Um, and then we re-recorded the way we got into it and the way we got out of it. And we played it the morning of his interview in Atlanta. Um, we played it to make it sound like we were calling him in his hotel the morning of his concert to talk to him about the concert and the new album. And 
it took a, I mean, it took hours of editing to repurpose it for that, but it came out so good that our program director said, oh my gosh, that was so great. I can't believe Lenny Kravitz answered his phone sitting in his hotel room. I imagine him lying in bed talking. I could hear how sleepy he was, you know, because I can imagine him lying in bed talking on the phone with you. So we edit, we did such a good job. It even fooled our own boss. Um, but all that to say, the more a show sounds casual and off the cuff, any type of entertainment show, a stand-up comedian, a radio show, a podcast, an interview with Lenny Kravitz, the more something sounds off the cuff and spontaneous, the more behind the scenes prep has gone into that to make it seem exactly that way. Um, so when you talk about guys sitting around, you know, who drink beer together and tell stories about, uh, the favorite football stadiums they've, they've ever visited. And somebody goes, Oh my God, we should make this a podcast and we should call it my favorite stadium drinking game. And we should all hang out and do it. And it's, and, and then they wonder why it doesn't perform well. And even their own friends are like, yeah, I missed this week's episode, but I'm sure it was great. It's because it's terrible because it's not just sitting around having beers chatting. It's planning and organization. We do a daily 30 minute show and Callie and I have two written versions of our schedule and we have two conversations about our schedule for every single show to make it sound like we're just hanging out and talking. So that's, uh, yeah. I don't even remember what your original question was. I just started talking about Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> now, that's awesome that you're able to make it sound like that. That's really cool. That That's the thing. Editing a podcast, it's very time-consuming. Planning, pre-planning, but the post-work as well. If you, if you really care, and I know you do, it's your job now. Obviously, you really you want to make it sound really, really great. And I do that, too. I sit here and I edit myself, and I, I listen. You can tell really quick those in podcasting that care, that really take the time to edit their show, to make it sound good, and those that are, they're just, they, 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 they turn on the microphone, they pr- press record, and then they upload it, and that's it. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, that the editing is really, the editing is very important, um, but it's it's possible to go too overboard with that. And, and I'll, I'm part of a, some podcasting Facebook groups and, and uh, like the other networking type things. And, and I've helped, you know, mentor a couple people on their show. And I see people talking about buying, you know, broadcast level equipment um, and, acoustic treatments for rooms and <laughs> uh you know talking about these nuances of engineering the show and 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 put it you know compression and noise gate and all of these high level things and it is possible to get really great sound without any of that and once you do it once you can you know replicate it pretty easily uh 
in you know in in any setting we've recorded our show in probably seven different rooms the first one had some cheap egg crate type acoustic panels on there because i thought i needed them um no other room had that we've recorded in rooms with hardwood floors and giant glass picture windows we've recorded in hotel rooms we've recorded in moving cars if you have it it's not hard to get you know decent decently audio um and i think a lot of people fall into this trap of way overthinking it and i would encourage you not to not to do, not to fall down that road you don't have to spend thousands of dollars or hours of time trying to get the perfect setup well and the equipment's expensive if if this is just a hobby is it really worth your time and money to spend thousands of dollars right. to put into it too? Right. Yeah. That's um, that's valid. But even if it's just a hobby, there are quality microphones, which is you know, in my opinion, you start with the microphone and then you back everything away from that. And there are quality microphones that you can get for a hundred dollars or less. So if it's a hobby, but it's a hobby that you want, you know, to people to, to respect, like if you want to do it right, um, you know, then spend a hundred dollars on the microphones and, uh, you know, don't use the free version of zoom to record your show. If you have to record it remotely, spend a few extra bucks, just like you would, if your hobby was, you know, was playing softball, you wouldn't show up to, you know, with, with the rest of your team and, and, you know, not have a glove and be like, ah, I don't need one. Again, again, I'm going to see if I take this, I'm going to see if I'm still doing softball in three months, then I'll get a glove or, you know, I'm just borrowing somebody's bat. This is not really, not even a soft, it's not even aluminum. It's a wooden bat, but we'll see if I'm still doing this in three months. Like if you want to do it, it's your hobby, invest a few bucks in it. And you know, it's not, it's on my to-do list to make a checklist that I can just give to people that they can download and go, look, here's three microphones. These are all good. They're less than a hundred bucks. Here's three interfaces. They're all good at three different price points. Here's, you know, here's some editing options. Some of them are free and, uh, eventually I'll do that. Tell me about advertisers. Are you selling the show yourself or do you have a team that's selling it for you? Um, we have both. So, um, we have an agency that sells all of our, um, straight host read ads that we have in the show. Um, every, regular episode of our show has four host red ad positions in there. So the agency sells them and uh, we just, you know, they they act as a uh, go between a liaison between the advertiser and us. And then we have more creative advertising options that, that our team sells themselves locally. So um, our show is presented by, a company called Dinner Affair, who I've worked with for years, and and they, you know, provide uh, easy to prepare at home meals. So we sold that ourselves because it's not just that they wanted more than just a traditional 
ad in the middle. They wanted some sort of presence on every single episode of our show. We have a newsletter that goes out to about 20,000 people every week. That has a sponsor. We sold that ourselves. Um, and then we have like a little pop culture slash news segment where it's just every day it's just three random facts. Um, and that's sponsored by somebody that we sold locally. Um, when I asked our ad agency about selling these more creative endeavors, um, they basically responded with podcasting is growing so quickly that we can't even keep up with the host read ads that we're placing on shows. So we're going to, we're a year or two away from doing any more creative or unique projects. So that's when we brought on somebody locally to, to sell those. And your show average is probably 30, 40 minutes an episode. Why do you decide on 30 to 40 minutes as opposed to an hour or longer? Um, actually, we wanted it to be um, 30 minutes long, um, 30 to 35. And the reason was back before the pandemic, the average commute time in Atlanta was 35 minutes. So we're like, let's make a show that's just, that's about the average commute. So people can listen to it, um, you know, in place of, of, you know, morning radio with music and commercials and everything. So that was, that was our original thing. And then we just added a couple little features to the show and we, and we're talkative. So we can't really, if you took out the commercials and you took out, we play voicemails, from our community at the end of every show. So if you took out the commercials and you took out the voicemails, we're coming in at rate about 30 minutes of content every show. So, um, but when you add that stuff in, it gets it up to about 40. That's one thing I like about podcasting over radio is you don't have a set time. Radio, you got those hard breaks. You may be in the middle of a thought, bottom of the hour. Right. You got to go. You got to go. Yep. This episode, we're around 40 minutes. My next one, maybe I have a conversation that's only 23 minutes. Maybe the next one's 47. I like that you are not having to worry about the clock. You don't have to look at the clock. Uh, so your content can be a lot better because you don't have to worry about like stopping in the middle of someone speaking that's a guest. That's I love that about right. podcasting. Yeah, and if we and we've released shows that um, are as short as twenty minutes, um, with bonus episodes. We've done bonus episode shows that are short as twenty minutes. We did um, the night, the day that we had. We were supposed to take the week off. Our baby was due, I think, the Thursday before Thanksgiving. And we were going to, we were supposed to take the week of Thanksgiving off and that was the plan and it was a scheduled C-section. So in my mind, that was just the plan. Like the C-section is scheduled for this date. So this is when our baby will be here. Well, she showed up three weeks early and we decided after like that night, we were in the hospital room and, and she showed up at noon with 12.50, I think is when she was born. And it was like six or seven o'clock at night. And I said uh, to my wife, I go, I'm going to go home. So we live five minutes from the hospital. I said, I'm going to go home and record a solo episode of our show. 
um, just, and I'm going to just to do it. Like it'll take me 20 minutes. So I went home and I talked and I announced the birth of our baby. And I said, you know, obviously Callie sat on this episode. We didn't expect this. And here's how the day went and here's all the stuff and here's the baby's name. And thank you for listening and boom. And we put it out. So we've done show we've done, I've done a solo show that's 15 minutes. And then we've also had guests on and interviews on that have gone 90 minutes. It's great. Well, Jeff, love the upside. I love the positivity. It's, it's a good listen. It's fun. It's not about the news. That's good. Yeah, we stay, away, stay, we stay away from that, which is hard at times. Yes. Um, yes. Especially toward the end of last year. But, uh, we kind of pride ourselves on just being a, you know, escape from the chaos of, of the world, whether it's good or bad. Like it, we just, we just want to be an escape. And we all need that escape. 30 minutes, 40 minutes. We need that. So you're doing good work on the upside. Really appreciate, appreciate you coming you. on. Of course. Subscribe to the Chad Whittle podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For a complete list of where to subscribe, visit chadwhittle.com. And while you're there, subscribe to Chad's Substack newsletter so you can stay up to date on future guests and to have his weekly articles delivered straight to your inbox. If you enjoy this podcast, please tell a friend. You can follow Chad on Twitter at cwhittlemedia and facebook.com forward slash cwhittlemedia. You can also connect with him on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to the Chad Whittle Podcast.